welcome to Counterpressed on The Ringer and Spotify. I'm in the studio with Jilly Flatty and Jesse Parker Humphreys. Jilly, you're in your dog gear today. <laughs> yeah, straight, straight from the field. Let's just make the viewers know that I'm not in like any just sort of random dog gear. <laughs> so, I mean, I've not got a lead as a puppy. and a harness on, do you know what I mean? <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. No, that sounds like something straight out from Soho. Exactly. Yeah. Wow, okay, you are taking it this way in the intro. <laughs> no, you, you you have your, it's chilly flatty, obviously you have a side hustle. Well, it's, yes, it's Lil's, I'm it's, not going to nick it. Don't disrespect Lil, our entrepreneur. Lil's side hustle is, uh, we'll plug it, we'll plug it, yeah. uh, is a dog walking business. Yeah, dog walking slash... Doggy daycare, uh, yeah, slash dog socializing group. Love it. Sounds yeah. fun. And you came straight from the fields of southeast London in your great merch, actually. Thanks. Little dog paw embroidered plus the hoodie with the possum den. Plug, plug, plug. Follow them on Instagram. Yeah. And um, yeah, you're 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 a dog mum. Yeah. Well, because obviously it's a later start today, and. Everyone else probably be, be buzzing about getting a lie-in. Not me. I made the wrong decision and I told Lil that I've not got to be until later. So she's like, get in the van and you can come to work for the morning. That's why you got to lie about your diary, Jilly. That's the key to everything. Jesse, I'm sure, Jesse, I'm sure you've <laughs> lied about your diary to your partner as well. I would never lie about my diary, no, ever. Not, not, not to get roped into a big trip to Sainsbury's and Worthing or something like that? I'm always being roped into to DIY projects, but, you know, you've got to do it for the wags. You've got to keep happy happy wife, happy life, Amen. innit? Julie knows. Amen. Flo, what, what have you been lying to Holly about? That's <laughs> what I want to know. Um, I'm trying to think. Well, the thing is, she does such a strict... Uh, like traditional nine to five job that I don't actually have to that much because she's always busy, like booked and busy anyway. So I think I'm okay. But there are certainly blurred lines between when I'm going to a game that's strictly for work and when I'm going to a game that's actually just for fun because it all blends into one. Like in a couple of weekends, a friend of mine is coming over from the States and we're going to watch Liverpool. And uh, I've now framed that as work. Um, I do that to be fair. Watching yes. football, I'm like, oh yeah, it's for work. Am I? Ooh. Am I? Yeah, but, but yeah, but this is the problem when you work in a in, a, in an industry that like overlaps into normal life so much is that it's all one in the end of the day. Like you're, we're always we're always on the clock. It's really hard for us guys. It takes its toll when you're always going to be analysing mid match. <laughs> it's very hard to just put your feet up and chill. Um, one of the things I really want to talk about before we get onto the England game from Friday night is Emma Hayes' trip to drum sheds. I was... Do you, do you know what drum sheds is, No, Jay? I don't. Okay, so <laughs> picture me Saturday morning lying in bed and anyone who hasn't yet followed Emma Hayes' Instagram, even if you're not a Chelsea fan, I think is a must-follow. Am I right, Jessie? Yeah, the, the content be contenting. And for a while she was private. For a long time she was private. And uh, Zana, my girlfriend, actually requested her on Instagram and never got that that acceptance but now it's public for everyone to see so yeah and the content is so random and so great because it's almost like the early days of Twitter or Instagram where it's quite sort of bloggy it's just like here's Denise having a coffee uh, in <laughs> in Sweden or whatever they might be in the Champions League it's very low-key it's, it's quite BTS-y Anyway, obviously it's international break. I think the expectation and understanding is that Emma Hayes may have gone to the States at some point maybe to to watch some Gold Cup action. She was clearly back in town for the weekend on Friday night 
Emma Hayes had gone to Drumsheds and Jilly Drumsheds is a huge club venue which is now in the old IKEA in Tottenham. So picture an old, huge IKEA, like almost like warehousey industrial vibe, where they've put uh, a club venue. It's a huge, like mega club. Like I think you can house like I don't know ten thousand people or something oh, wow. crazy. And Emma Hayes had bloody gone to Drumsheds to watch Chase and Status. So here I am, Saturday morning, <laughs> flicking through Instagram as you do, and I just see like absolute club classics chasing state is blasting and emma hayes just like videoing this huge crowd she's on the balcony vip obviously huge crowd and i was thinking wow emma hayes friday night drum sheds and Becky, i would never i would never have guessed that she would like never. i didn't even know chasing state as was still going well they, are, they do a few collab songs they got a good song with becky hill at the moment Women's football favourite, Becky Hill. We do um, love Becky Hill. We do love Becky Hill. But yeah, I didn't know she was a Chasing States fan either, but I guess you learn something new every day. And Becky made the point on Twitter saying, can you imagine being at drum sheds, raving, and then you just turn around and Emma Hayes is right there. <laughs> like, I was, I couldn't believe it. I had to sort of do a double take looking at the handle. Send it to Jesse straight away being like, oh my God. <laughs> and uh, it got me thinking because... Then I was tweeting about how we've got to see Jonas Eideval at Bergheim in Berlin next. I think his get-up that he's had... He's very Bergheim. He's very yeah, Bergheim. So Bergheim is a very trendy club in Berlin where they have a really kind of exclusive door policy where essentially if they like the look of you, you're coming in. If you look cool enough. Savage. Yeah, it is savage. And his kind of long black Adidas uh, look, like the kind of minimalist vibe, really fits it. Not the Manchester United Burberry number. It wasn't Burberry, but that he wouldn't get in wearing page. that. A hundred percent, you'd be tur- you'd be turned away. That was like a bit too Six Nationsy, really, for Burkine. Anyway, his usual Adidas cool collab thing, he'd get in in an instant. So it got me thinking about where, where, what, what man- WSL managers, what nightclubs would they go to, Jilly? Matt Beard. Let's start with Matt Beard, friend of the show. Uh, Matt Beard, where would you see him? For a nightclub? Yeah. I could see Matt Beard. Do you know this place? It's shut down there, actually. The venue. The venue. In New Cross. In New Cross. Yeah. yeah Do you know it's shut down there? Yeah, I know. I, I yeah. can't believe yeah. that. I- iconic venue. I used to go there back in the day. What, is it like a club? A club yeah, venue? but it has like four levels. Yeah. yeah, so the top level was cheese. That was the cheese floor, yeah? Yeah. Used to go there, and then the downstairs was like basement. That was like R&B, and then I didn't ever go in the two middle floors because they were boring. <laughs> used to go to the top, play a bit of S Club 7, and then when you come out, you used to literally come out, come out the door, do a left, literally right there was the best kebab shop in New Cross. <laughs> you used to sit there in the kebab shop, they must have seen everything in there, talking absolute rubbish to any person that you met. And then we used to get a cab home. Well, Yeet Me in St. Louis replied to the Count Press Twitter about this and said, Matt Beard, Tiger Tiger, without a doubt. I think he has Tiger Tiger energy. No, I think Tiger Tiger is like, I, I can see where the venue is like not dissimilar from Tiger Tiger, but it's like, a couple of levels down okay. in like Ooh, badness, you, say tiger, you know. A tiger tiger's too classy for Matt Beard. Wow, dread to Matt Beard. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe too young. I would say too young. Yeah, I'm trying to think who who I could imagine at, at Tiger Tiger. 
Does Tiger Tiger even exist anymore? I used to go to the Croydon one all the time. I thought that one that's just in Piccadilly, just, yeah, I think that's still there, but I couldn't tell you. But God, we're old, aren't we? I know. Um, <laughs> a lot of people saying Mark Skinner, Prism. And I think I see that. Do you ever go to a prison? No. The only clubs I've, I've ever been to prison. Yeah. Only clubs I've ever been to was Oceana. Oh yeah. So no, Oceana turned into prison. Oh okay. Yeah. Did well, you go to the one in Kingston? No, I went to the one in Watford. Okay. Yeah. So uh, so Oceana <laughs> became prison. Okay. So I used to go to the Oceana in Kingston. Then someone got stabbed, shut it down. Prism. Then I think bought a lot of the Oceanas, and now like all the places that were Oceanas are called prison. And went there. Went to. I think it was prison by this point in Kingston, not far from King's Meadow on my A-level results night. Celebrating or drowning your sorrows? Uh, celebrating, yeah. I didn't do too badly, but the ho- it then got hijacked because one of my friends had cheated on his girlfriend and it became this whole <laughs> thing about, and I was like, if you don't tell her, I will. And it kind of changed the vibe <laughs> of the evening. <laughs> so, you know, uh, we also had Ru- RuPaul's title race and I just love their handle every single time they tweet. Rianne Skinner, Turtle Bay, goes for the two-for-one cocktails, but she's not going out, out after. And I couldn't agree more. I think Rianne Skinner is going for the... What's that other place that does the two-for-one? Um, that does, like, terrible Mexican food. Uh, Las, Las Iguanas. Iguanas. <laughs> yeah, so Rianne Skinner is double-parked with two pitchers of uh, whatever they do there. Not woo-woo, because that's what Spoons does, but another, like, brightly coloured, very sweet cocktail. Having a few drinks, but she's like, you guys go on without me. Got to go home and just do a bit of analysis for the game next week. (laughs) Would you agree, Jesse? Yeah, I agree. The person I think, though, I would most like to go clubbing with from the WSL managers is Carla Ward. Oh, yeah. we That would be, like, my number one. So, L. L, uh, whose handle is my bad woso takes, love that read yourself iconic. Said, I just know Carla Ward would love Infernos. Infernos in Clapham is so a special place, true. and it's so true. Wow! Uh, and then she said, I can see Beardy at Two Brewers, but in the cabaret slash pub part only is Two Brewers in Soho. No. No, 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 that's in Clapham as well. Oh, that's, that's in Clapham as well. Bar. So Clapham getting a lot of sh- a big shout out here. But yes, Collar Woods would be great fun on a night out, I imagine. So maybe we should get this count press manager social. Last one, Charlotte Dunn wrote, Emma Hayes at Prism, formerly Oceana, as we discussed, in Kingston. F- but she says, for business, not pleasure, because there used to be a hot dog stand in the foyer. I remember that well. It was really good because you get a late night snack in the middle of your night out. And I don't think there's enough of that. I think that's a good business play. I preferred Marky Bab, to be fair. Yeah, that's venue. good. And there's also Hippodrome in Kingston, which I think still does exist. Um, not a bad club venue. So there you go. Managers and clubs. The, the possibilities are endless. <laughs> I just want to make this happen now. We'd all do it. Maybe we'll do an end of season little uh, everyone down. Who do you think would be the manager most likely to agree if we asked all of them Beardy. to come on a night out? Beardy. Beardy. If we said Jilly and Kate could get on a night so out. If we say to if we say uh, Jilly, Kate, us, Beardy, Carla would then come, and then we say Carla. Them. We say Carla. Emma Hayes is coming. And then you know, once Say you get, Emma, they're all gonna come, yeah, aren't they? Exactly. Really? Once you get one, and then it wow. just snowballs from there. Wow. So much to look forward to in so this off season. Much to look forward to. <laughs> so on today's show, we're gonna be talking 
England chatting about their game against Austria on Friday night. I'm also going to be talking about the Nations League as we get hyped for the first Women's Nations League final, which is very exciting. So let's get stuck into it after this. So Friday night, England-Austria, very much one-way traffic in this one. A strong 7-2 win for England. But I don't know about you guys, I felt like I was watching a COVID game. It reminded me of some of the matches that England played during the pandemic. Not just because it was obviously like a random crowd because they're playing it uh, in Marbella in one of those sort of like sports facilities slash hotel kind of complexes and the brave people that had gone to the game maybe they were like Gibraltar locals or had gone there like hats off to you especially when it started pissing down with rain but there was just the general atmosphere and everything like it felt strange part of that as being a friendly um but it yeah there was just a weird vibe about it I thought yeah I think like well, obviously watching it in like you said the stadium um it reminds me of like when you go like on a pre-season tour you know, and you just play in a sort of a local, um, a local stadium, and also then really not really seeing much about it being on the telly in the first place. Obviously, I think we're so used to obviously, especially the Nations League in England, getting the hype up um, on social media about it being on. Um, but yeah, it was just a. I, I felt like with uh, Austria, I felt like they really wanted to be brave against England, and I also thought as well. I was surprised actually when it went to five two. They were actually so buzzing as well. Like I think they, them, and the bench looked happier than any of England's <laughs> seven goals when they scored. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, I think it was, it is, it was what it was. Do you know what I mean? It's hard to sort of like really big it up for more than probably what it was. Yeah, I'm gonna have to football cliches you flow a little bit because I don't know if you can say a game's one way traffic if the opposition team still scores twice. True, I've, um, I've been done there. <laughs> but yeah, it was a bit of a weird game. I think from an England perspective, it kind of was a reminder of how intense their past sort of year has been to have to go to the World Cup and then go straight into the Nations League games with Olympic qualification hanging on it. And I think as a result, Maybe for throughout 2023, it felt like we didn't see that many convincing England performances, you know, even sort of thinking back to the the finalissima at, at Wembley and and the obviously the loss to Australia at Brentford. Um, but I felt like this to me, it just felt like England had were like almost taking like a breath of being like, oh, like yeah, there aren't that many people here. We are somewhere else. We're like trying stuff, something new. We've got a lot of new players in the team. Let's just sort of go out there and have some fun, see what we can do. I think Austria did play into their hands. I think yeah, they they were trying to like play brave. They obviously wanted to play out from the back. It really didn't work. Um, England absolutely killed them on the press. But from an England perspective, I do think obviously the goals they conceded are going to be frustrating because they're both from corners and they're conceded in a very similar way. But I think generally in terms of just being able to have players go out, have fun, score goals, it was a really worthwhile friendly. Well, Jilly, what you mentioned about the way that the Austrian players reacted to their goals, I think, yeah, there was this general relaxed energy that came through, like you say, Jesse, because 
everyone was kind of happy and smiling regardless of what was going on, especially the Austrian players. They were getting beat quite bad, but they were just kind of happy to be there. And I do think there was this nice freedom and relax relaxness that came with it. And yeah, maybe it is quite nice to see the pressure off for once. And even though these games are meaningless, there's I think there's a lot of growth to be had especially because of the changes and so much of the past 18 months when it's come to Serena Wiegmann is all about please rotate the team, please make changes, please let us see different players in different positions, let's give that a go and finally we saw some of that in this game and probably Grace Clinton being the prime example who you feel like is going to have a massive part to play in the next couple of years of Wiegmann's tenure because she's been called up into the senior squad before. We didn't really get to see her properly. First senior goal in this game was the star of the show for large parts, just looked so comfortable being there, looked like she, you know, like we've seen what she can do in the WSL, so she is so highly rated and clearly a massive talent. But I do think it was nice to finally feel like, oh, in fits and starts over the last couple of years, we've seen like Katie Robinson come in and, and get a bit of a go or Jess Park come in and get a bit of a go. But it's been a lot harder for players to kind of stick around, bar Lauren James, who's like a generational talent, you know. So I think it's nice to see someone who you feel like she's getting a chance and it's not going to be her only chance. Yeah, I agree. And that's what I think, like, it's sort of maybe a blessing in disguise with these sort of games that there is no pressure on England and that they can, obviously, not that the result doesn't matter. Obviously, they're going to want to win every game, but it's a chance to experiment and it's a chance to give those players, because any any player who comes into the England setup, you're naturally always going to feel pressure to perform regardless. Um so I think having that where you can make those changes and you can give players like Clinton a chance to go, you're not going to be limited to a 15-minute cameo coming off the bench. You know, you're gonna, we're gonna be brave to start you. You're gonna, you've earned that. And then it's about giving her the freedom to play a normal game, you know, and not have the added pressure of we actually need to win this game. So every chance I get, I have to put it away, or do you know what I mean? So I think you'll be able to see that players playing with a lot more freedom. But I think with Clinton as well, she's She's getting the trust in the WSL and she's able to not just, like I said, not like a cameo, it's consistent, obviously, with Tottenham. Um, and you can see that, I think, coming into England. She's, I like the young players when they come through because they've just got the confidence. If they want to take a shot, they don't overthink it. They, they get their head up and they have a strike. And, yeah, I've been really impressed by her. Jesse, do you think this is signalling a change of attitude from Wiegmann because so much of her early time with England was no one's getting a sympathy cap. Katie Zellum, you're coming back in to the setup, but you're going to really wait until you get that first cap or Jess Carter at the time or Lucy Staniforth or John Nobbs in and out. It was so hard for any of them to get game time, even when England was smashing teams 20-0 in the, in the build-up to the Euros or in the World Cup qualifying. Do you think this game signals a bit of an attitude shift now? To be totally honest, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> Am I being wish- I think- is it wishful thinking? I'm like, finally, Serena's <laughs> chilled out a bit. I was reminded on Twitter, um, and I think it's a really good point, that 
Wiegman has done this before in Arnold Clark Cup games. Well, like, that's what I mean. Those, those Katie Robinson cameos is like the most we've ever had to like taste of like, oh, the next generation. Right. But then like these, this is literally the Arnold Clark Cup window. So yeah. we're in exactly the same position yeah. that, that we have been before. And it is interesting. Like I was thinking this morning, because um, I'm writing something around this topic about who do I think will start at Euro 2025 for England? And eight of the names I wrote down started the Euro 2022 games. Mm. And I think that's just a bit of a reflection on a couple of things. I think, you know, Wiegmann obviously likes to trust certain players. Um, so there are players who will stay in the squad because of that. And also lots of the players who've come through like are very young. So when you're looking at someone like Lauren Hemp, someone like Alessia Russo, you know, even players like Kirill George Stanway. Okay, they're now players who are sort of in their mid-20s, but like relatively, like on the international stage, they are quite young. And I think as a result, it is very hard for younger players to to break in. I think Clinton's going to be a really interesting one to look at in terms of that, because there is so much competition for that number 10 spot right now. And it feels like we've had a real shift because I think for ages that number 10 spot, you're like not really sure who was going to play there. Frank Herbie was like probably the number one name, but she was never fit. Nobbs obviously was sort of in and out of the England squad over the, the past couple of years, like even looking at uh, under Phil Neville as well. But again, often not fit. Whereas now you've got, okay, let's put a question mark on Kirby because I'm not sure <laughs> if she'll last a year of 2025. But you've got LJ, who's probably the number one name there. But then you've got Ella Toon, you've got Grace Clinton, you've got Jess Park. And there's so much competition in that space. And it's going to be really fascinating, I think, because Julie's right to say, like, the key, I think, for Clinton is that she's playing every week in in the WSL. And that makes it a lot easier, I think, for her to be picked. Even someone like Jess Park has only just come into the City team because Rod's got injured. Now, next season, when Grace Clinton presumably goes back to Manchester United, are we going to see her get the same mm. game time? Like, how might that affect things? So I think all of those, like, factors really influence how this team might develop over the sort of next 16 months till we get to Euro 2025. But that's why I think Serena Vimeo's so hard to read because a lot of the time she talks about how players need to almost get game time to be considered and she's been like that from the start but then you see how certain players get into the team like Esme Morgan and that obviously left a lot of Arsenal and England fans frustrated to not see Lotten Wobben Moy start she came on in the second half Alex Greenwood Jesse, you and I kind of foreshadowed and manifested this on Friday because we were in the pub, um, just being lads in the pub talking footy, as you do, <laughs> and we're saying, will Lotta get the start? She's played so well this season. She deserves it. And you made the point, well, maybe playing on the as a left-sided centre-back this season is going to give her an issue because even though she's playing, which used to be her challenge before, she didn't have enough game time for Arsenal. She's playing. She's been Arsenal's most important, most consistent player this season. And you're like, okay, this is when she gets that chance. But Alex Greenwood is not going to be moved either from left back or left side centre back. Neve Charles is guaranteed at that left back right now. The right back, maybe there's more options there because I think Lucy Bronze has struggled for England now for 18 months to two years. Melatissia can play there. Esme Morgan can play there. There are different options there. Jess Carter can play there. But that right centred centre back, that's the one up for grabs. But Lotta Wimoy is still not the option there. Jilly? defender experience there were you surprised that she didn't get the nod in that position um no because I think it when when so when I played centre-back right it's so hard to go from a left side centre-back to a right side centre-back right all my career growing up I always played on the left-hand side 
yeah. And obviously, I, I mean, I, I didn't really have a left foot when I was younger, but obviously I worked on it. Um, but I was always on that you're smiling then. I thought you you no, questioning just, my left foot. The way you said I, I didn't have a, laugh, a, a left foot, but I worked on it. It just made me laugh. <laughs> I didn't work on it that hard, but I worked on it. Um, but I was always on the left-hand side from, I'm talking middle under 13s, all the way up. I then, even at Chelsea, was on the left-hand side. I then went to... Who was on your right during that period then when you were on the left? I had Bass at oh, one yeah. point. Oh, and I had Neve Fahey. She was on my right as well. And then, obviously, then I left. So then I went to West Ham. And I said to Beardy, I really want to play on the right-hand side just because I'm naturally on my right. And Beardy wanted me to do, like, the longer balls, the diags. I couldn't do that on my left. Yeah, it's not happening. <laughs> But then going over to my right, and then I obviously was there for about two years just studying on my right-hand side. Everything's completely different. The whole way you turn, uh, the way you show players. And then I had to go over to the left when Grace Fist signed because Grace went to go on the right. And I played two games there and I said to Billy, I cannot do it. Like, I'm getting head loss. I need to go back to the right. Grace, listen, you're a newbie. You've got to go to the left. So for a centre-back, especially if you think, She's obviously playing on the left for Arsenal. She has got Greenwood in front of her. It is difficult. Could that really be a game where Greenwood don't play? Because she has played a lot of minutes. Obviously, I know Lot has played a lot for Arsenal, but in regards to England, she hasn't. Could that have been a chance to say, well, let's see what Lot is like at left side centre-back, even if you put her alongside Morgan? Um, but it is difficult, I think, when you look at Jess Carter going on the left-hand side uh, when she come on for Charles. And obviously, she's been playing centre-back. It's really hard, and I think... For people who haven't played the game, probably don't underestimate how hard it is um, to switch from left to right. I do feel, I feel so bad for lots of Moy because it's like, what more has a girl got to do? But I, yeah, it, we, we did sort of um, hint that this might be a, a frustra frustration for her and it's kind of ended up that way, Jesse. Yeah, I mean, look, she's still got a half of football. So I think there's a bit of a, a feeling of like, shock because she didn't start but like ultimately she still played 45 minutes mm. but yeah I, I do think that's the issue is that she's now unfortunately behind Greenwood and the kind of annoying thing England have got is that realistically Lotter and Alex Greenwood are probably England's two best centre-backs right now in terms of sort of form and fitness but they're playing in that exact same position and and the most and reliable then, as well like injury free Alex Greenwood even though she's on the older age of the team like she is touchwood you know she she's kind of pretty bulletproof on things even when she had that nasty head injury she came back like within a couple of weeks and Lotta's obviously had a pretty decent touchwood injury record when you look at Millie Bright and Lee Williamson the struggle is much more for them right now is just maintaining you know being healthy but then I think also, and the thing that's probably just going to be hard for Lotter in general, is that I think centre-back is England's deepest position because you're in a position where of eight starting centre-back positions in the top four, seven of those players are English mm. when they're all fit. So you've got Williamson and Van Moy at Arsenal, Brighton Carter at Chelsea, Greenwood at City, and then... Okay, we'll probably put them like a level down, but Letizia and, and Millie Turner at United. So that's not even including someone like Esme Morgan, who clearly Wiegmann sees and wants to play as a centre back. So again, I think this is what's going to be really interesting, actually. It's quite an interesting area to see how maybe it plays out because, okay, let's assume Williamson and, Br and Bright get back to full fitness for next season. Are they still Wiegmann's starting centre-back pairing? I, I think it's hard to look past them. I would probably still say they're the best 
two overall, even if right now, based on form, I'd put Greenwood and, and Vermoor ahead of them. Obviously, Millie Bright's not even playing and Williamson's only just coming back. So that, you know, that's just natural. But um, yeah, it's, it's a really tough position to to be playing in. And, you know, I think on the one hand, obviously, it'll be frustrating for Lotter around the England thing. But on the other hand, in some ways, it's like, credit to her that she's almost been able to carve out a position for herself at Arsenal because she was never going to be the right-sided centre-back at Arsenal, was she? Because of Leah Williamson. So mm. at least now she's being able to show that that she can play there. And, you know, maybe over time there is more trust and there is more of a feeling that she can do more of the Jess Carter thing and, and be more versatile and try and take to those those other sides more naturally. The other major change, but it's, it's a friendly, so can you call it a major change? But Hannah Hampton starting over Mary Earps. We know that she is now uh, the favourite at Chelsea and has got some established game time there. Her distribution is obviously really strong. Um, what did you make of her performance? I think there was only one slightly nervy spill that she made. Um, I wouldn't say she was particularly kind of at fault for either of their goals, which I think the defending um, was more the issue from those corners. But it's interesting to know that there's obviously a bit of pressure now on Mary Earps, who's been able to hold down that number one spot pretty comfortably for the last few years. And now it's like, oh, you're not guaranteed there. You know, there's a bit more competition, which is important. Yeah, I think the competition is huge. And I think, um, obviously, with Hampton... I think her distribution is probably one of the best that I've seen from a goalkeeper. Um, I do think, though, sometimes when you have a goalkeeper that's like that, who's really good with their feet, some, like in the game, sometimes I feel England defenders, you're playing risky. I know, obviously, you're getting away with it because you're playing against Austria, but there are some times where it was like you're putting a hospital pass back to Hampton, yeah, because you know she can deal with it, but... You've, we've seen it time and time again when, I think, with Mary Earps in goal, even at United, where Man United defenders have tried to play their way out of trouble and you're stitching back to Mary Earps, who hasn't... not she's, she's got decent distribution, but in the sense of with Hampton, Hampton's much better. But then you're causing your own problems. And I think I noticed in the game they was doing that. I think, obviously, you look at with Greenwood, for example, for the first goal just doesn't put the ball out. She's just trying to... I don't know what she's trying to do, to be fair, but it goes out for a corner... Whereas I think sometimes it's when you know you've got a keeper that's so good with their feet, sometimes you do that. And if teams know you're going to do that, they're going to high press you. And like I said, they got away with it because it was Austria. But sometimes I think, not if you ain't got a goal, you can't really play with their feet, you don't think to go back. But I just think it's about knowing when is the right time to do it. Um, but yeah, I think she done she done well. She like I said, she didn't really get tested as such. Um but it's, again, it's another game for her to have that confidence. And being the number one at Chelsea, that's going to give her a huge confidence. Yeah, I think it'd be really interesting to see what kind of team Wiegmann plays in the Tuesday game against Italy, whether it's a whole, you know, changing the eleven and it's like a whole new run out for different players, or if she does stick with some of those new faces that started, and by new faces, I don't mean complete new faces, but the what the the changes if she does stick with those changes it'll be really interesting to see what that means now for almost like the next cycle yeah and I, I don't know my hunch would be that maybe we revert to a more familiar England team for that game anyway but it will be interesting to see you know do we have hints of maybe where Wiegmann's preferences lie on some of these things if if we do see um, certain players coming in and starting? Um, but again, I just feel like 
in some ways, I feel like this is like a reset for England, but not necessarily in terms of players, because I do think it's pretty clear like who the favourites are and it's actually hard to argue with most of them. But I think it it's more just feels like a reset in mentality and an opportunity to be like, okay, let's like revisit what we're doing here and how we want to play. Because I think it's also easy to forget that England spent the majority of the World Cup playing a totally different system to what they had done before. And, you know, they pretty much reverted to the um, kind of four, two, three, one, we're, we're used to them playing. But I think that's also, you know, taking a bit of change. You're also seeing players like Beth Mead, obviously coming back into the team. And I thought she had a really good game um, as well. So, yeah, I think, you know, I think England will hope Italy are a bit more of a challenge than maybe Austria were. Um, I think it was a bit of a surprise that Austria were as bad as they were, to be honest, given that obviously they've given England um, tough games the, the past couple of times they've played them. But yeah, I just think this is, you know, I'm obviously looking at the teams playing the Nations League semi-finals. On the one hand, you're like, obviously you want England to be competing in those games to to be like going up against the best teams in Europe. But on the other hand, I just thought it's really good just to see them get to try some new things and it not really to matter rather than having to kind of not flog a dead horse because that's kind of harsh on England, but just having to constantly be, constantly be going and going and going. That is such a funny way to describe that. I actually love that description. But also it is though, because the way that the, the the way that some of these players, like the amount of football they've played in the last few, the last cycle that's included, obviously a Euros and a World Cup, it is like, for God's sake, give these girls a rest. And they've got a long old rest coming up this summer because they've got these... Euro playoff games, June, July, and then a lot of them will have quite a long break until some of them might maybe play in Champions League qualifiers in August. And then Not for Georgia Stanway. She's upset. <laughs> She's got state school holidays and she wants private school holidays. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess, it, well, let's see where Bayern Munich finish and how early she's called in. But uh, yeah, I think, I think that is important. We need to talk about Manuela Zinsberger because... It's this conversation that always comes back to it. Jilly, tell me, tell tell the listeners what you called her out in the corridor before we came in today. Spillsburger. <laughs> it was a tough game for her. She wasn't great. And it always comes back to this conversation. It's like one of the biggest talking points on Arsenal Twitter is around Zinsberger. Got this new contract a few months ago and that really set people talking because it's like there's two camps or there's a bit of a sort of like reality, which I get for Arsenal fans, which is, well, are there many keepers that are better? You know, what what more could we get? And I would argue that probably there is. Are there tons of t- options to play with that you have a chance of getting that a player that goalkeepers that might be moving? Not so much. But I think... The the last couple of months has been tough for her. That we have seen quite a few mistakes, and arguably in in a lot of Arsenal games, them not scoring goals has been a bigger issue than them necessarily conceding. But I do think there is such a clear lack of trust, and when you don't have that trust and security in a goalkeeper, that spreads through to the defence. And I think that is an issue that's going to come back time and time again with Zinsberger is that, you know, she is, she's someone that can make good saves, that, you know, she's a decent goalkeeper. But when you are trying to operate at the level that Arsenal are trying to, like that is going to be a weakness that teams are going to try and exploit. 
Yeah, because I think even obviously Zinsberg was playing when I was at clubs and we would target her because of the fact. It, I've always said it. I, I don't, I just don't think she is. I don't, not I don't think she's good enough for Arsenal. I don't think she's good enough for Arsenal if Arsenal want to win the Champions League. I just don't. And I've, I try and um, obviously watch her. In the, when I watch her in the WSL and I try and give her the benefit of the doubt, but I just, when, when you watch her play, she just does not look confident at all. You know, and obviously, listen, goalkeepers are in the position where they can make one mistake in one game and it's costly. Whereas a player who plays in an outfield position and can play anywhere else in the pitch could make the same mistake several times in a game and it's not going to affect or or hurt the team. So I think she's in a difficult position there. But I just think when when watching her, um, obviously I had a little moan up when we come in because I just said that what I don't like from a goalkeeper is when uh, when your team concedes a goal, I don't like it when a goalkeeper gets up and starts screaming and shouting and pointing at everyone around her because I just think take responsibility yourself. So, for example, on their, um, well, I think it was the sixth goal, um, the, the ball went across to the back post and you had, that's when Beth Mead come in um, for the tapping. Now, she obviously is having She a, knows full well who it's going to yeah. be Well, She knows more than most. But she's she's jumps up screaming and shouting at the people, uh, whoever has not tracked her back. But the fact of was, the point was that both your centre-backs got beat by one single ball. Neither of them dealt with it. You had your left-back who had to come all the way in to try and take up the middle of the goal. So, of course, no one's going to be tracking Beth at the back post. But I just don't like that. When a, when a, someone gets up and they're quick to point and, and finger point and blame someone else. Um, but, yeah, I'm just not convinced. And I feel like every time in that game when she made a save, I think she tipped one over the bar, her face looks like, She's amazed that she's done it herself. No, no, no. Listen, watch the watch the game, watch the highlights. It's as if to say that she's. I don't know. I, I, not I can't. Like, I, the thing is, I will go back and rewatch it, but I can't say I was looking out for that. Just watch the tip. The one it, she tips over the bar. Yeah. Uh, all the teammates get around her, and it's as if to say like. It's a relief Ooh, or like yeah, a like she's like, surprise. Wow. Like I've just tipped there. It's like that that relief that she's actually she's managed to save it. But I just I'm just not convinced by her. probably a lovely girl. I'm just not convinced. For me, she's not at the level where if uh, more so an Arsenal, not for Austria, Arsenal. If Arsenal want to win the Champions League, they have to have a better goalkeeper. Jesse, agree? Yeah, I would agree. I I will say she's often exceptionally worse for Austria than she is for Arsenal. Yeah, I mean, think about what She's happened like the in the opposite Euros. Of Mary do, you remember, do you remember the one that happened in the Euros when she tried to clear it and then it bounced off a German yeah. player into the back of the net? That was cruel. I actually felt really sorry for her for that one. Yeah, um, yeah but she does tend to make a couple of howlers per international break. Um, yeah, I think from an Arsenal perspective, I think it's silly to be like, there's not better goalkeepers out there, personally. Um, I just think there obviously are better goalkeepers out there. I think she's a great. But Arsenal, have, I mean, Chelsea have about three of them, so give up. Yeah, one. I mean, <laughs> she's a great competitive number two. I think, yeah. like, or or someone, yeah, who, who you rotate in and out. And hey, maybe they really thought Sabrina D'Angelo was going to be that person who pushed her. I think that's clearly not been the case. That's a question for Ida Val and Wheatley and and their scouting. I don't know whether that was true or. You know, I I don't really have a problem with Arsenal giving her a new contract um, because, as I say, I think if you go and then in the summer bring in someone who's better, then grand, you've got two, like, you've got a a great goalkeeper potentially and a 
goalkeeper who's fine because I do think most of the time for Arsenal she's fine rather than bad. Um, but yeah, I agree with Jilly. I don't think she's like a Champions League winning goalkeeper by any stretch of the imagination. Hey, United went and got Fallon Tullis Joyce as their number two, and she could have maybe been pushing. And she never plays, and she never exactly. <laughs> she never plays. She could have been pushing for that number one shirt. Maybe that's probably one of some of the best scouting that that United have done really at all in the last couple of years. All right, that is England's game. Let's talk Women's Nations League. So the first edition of the Women's Nations League is coming to its conclusion. I guess I want to just do a survey to see if it's had the desired impact that UEFA probably would have hoped because obviously it's been going in the men's game now for a number of years and the idea was that it would create an opportunity for much more competitive games. It would also create a way to qualify for the Euros, which had be often been harder for a lot of national teams. Someone like Scotland, obviously loving life as a result of this. Now, in the women's game, it was it was much more about like closing the gap because we saw these crazy high score lines, especially that England were having in qualification games and friendlies. And it was much more about how the Nations League could maybe bridge that gap get nations that are closer in competition playing each other more often and then it would kind of drive standards up. It would still have a qualification element and it would just create kind of a bit more entertainment. I wasn't really sure if it had necessarily done that and probably part of my bias is that as soon as obviously England got get knocked out, you kind of lose interest. But even before that, I suppose that that finale at, at, the, at Wembley with the Netherlands was pretty fun. That was like a dramatic and entertaining moment. But I think it was interesting watching especially Spain's game against the Netherlands, which um, was in a big stadium with a, a decent turnout of fans. And just the way I think that certainly the atmosphere, the attitude of the players, the the general energy, and this sounds like such a kind of like patronising disrespect, but I do mean it, is like... They were playing that semi semi final like it felt like a proper major competition semi final. The way that they were celebrating the goals, it was really sort of it was really important to them, and I think that maybe cemented this idea that yeah, clearly not only there's Olympic qualification on the line, yes, but it's like they are athletes, they're competitive. Of course, they're going to want to win games, but it just had this different energy, which I think is the energy that. Obviously, UEFA has been trying to find and I'm like, OK, if I was a Spain fan or a Spanish player, I'd probably be like, yeah, like this is one more thing to win and to really showcase our dominance in women's football right now. Yeah, and I do think when you've got like um, a, a tournament as such, where obviously, yeah, there's obviously the Olympic qualification riding on it too. But I think even, I think, being a, a fan as such and watching those games where it was, especially from England's point of view, where you're playing, I don't know, Macedonia, for example, or wherever, and it's like ridiculously high scoring, it's sort of then, not that you lose interest in it, but it's a bit like, how do you gear yourself up for those games when there's not necessarily something at the end of it? Um, whereas I think with the Nations League, that the drama that England had, yes, in that in the Holland game, but then also in the the final game where they thought they'd got through and then there was the last guy within like the last 30 seconds or whatever. That made, obviously, I was com I was commentating, well, not commentating, I was sort of doing the thing with Sky at the time. That made such good TV because it was the drama. Um, so, and I think, yeah, all them games that they've played and now obviously they're, they're now through to the finals, um, knowing that the Olympic qualification is riding on it too and 
they've also said as well, you got the big hitters as such, England are out of it. So it's an even better chance for them to to win it and then progress as well. Um, but I think it's a much, in my opinion, a much better format than obviously what was going on before and any football player likes to win and they like to win trophies regardless of whether they're the Arnold Clark Cup or the Nations League. Respect the Arnold Clark Cup always. I think also for Spain, it was obviously about Olympic qualification and, you know, we had a bit of this conversation around um, England versus Team GB and how the Olympics in this country maybe aren't seen in the same way as they are in Europe. And I do think like for for other European nations, getting to go to the Olympics is is a really big deal. And, and I think for Spain, that was a, a really big deal as well. And um, I do think kind of the Olympic qualification has made the Nations League feel like different in its own way. And I think the fact that it's being, you know, the fact that France are already through, but they're, they're participating in the Nations League, understandably, has made some of the the way this last tournament has felt a bit strange because it was kind of like if Germany won in their semi-final, then the third place playoff became meaningless. But because Germany lost to France, it's like now this is like kind of a fun shootout between the Netherlands and Germany to get to the Olympics. But all of that, I think, has made it a bit strange. It'll be interesting to see how it feels when it's effectively next year's one will effectively just be sort of a standalone mm. semi-finals and final and it won't it will just be for the nations league it won't mean anything because euros qualification obviously happens you know many more teams qualify for the euros than they do for the olympics um but yeah i think i think it's interesting i think it's also interesting just in sort of assessing where some teams are you know i do think spain and france probably um are justifiable finalists for it i do think they're probably the two best teams in Europe right now. Um, and I definitely think it will be interesting to see, you know, I think that will be a fun game to watch um, because, you know, Spain have felt quite clear in a lot of games. And I think that was true against the Netherlands. And yeah, France felt a lot better than Germany. I think Germany really struggled in that game. So yeah, I've really enjoyed the the Nations League generally. I think it is, it is a worthwhile thing to do. And as I say, I think the Olympics element has made it like, and the fact that it started straight after the World Cup, like I think if it started for the first time, maybe this year rather than straight after the World Cup, it might have felt a little bit different because I just think that like nonstop intensity was was kind of wild um, for, for lots of teams really. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think it's a lot of fun, you know, as we say, like obviously there's been a less focus on it here because England aren't in it anymore, but the games on the games on um, Friday night were really enjoyable. I will say my main complaint and for the future is I'm bored of them all being scheduled at the same time. Mm. And why couldn't England just do their friendly at a different time? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, the the the, the stubbornness of always the 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 Thursday, Monday or Friday, Tuesday rotation for games is really annoying. There's like never any flexibility on that on these international windows. Please let us let us watch a little bit of everything. And surprisingly, but maybe unsurprisingly, because obviously Spanish women's football's development has come kind of late in the last or 20 years or so, but they've never qualified for Olympic Games before. So this is massive for them. And the likelihood of them adding another gold medal to their World Cup victory is probably pretty high. So understandably, those players are like, gimme, 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 this is going to be great. And it's been obviously a bit of a homecoming as well, them playing some of these games at home for the fans to be able to celebrate the World Cup winners obviously with the backdrop of everything that's been going on since. So, yeah, I think it's I think that that final will be really fun to watch and yeah, like like you say it's nice for those two teams to almost get a reward, but Germany 
yeah, have lucked out. If England were in that position, obviously they'd be feeling pretty good. But then I think a lot of players have realised that a summer off might be worth its weight in gold, given Team GB's not so amazing history at Olympic Games. I think what's funny with the France situation, going into a home games, which is massive, is that Herve Renard is just constantly always linked to new jobs. I'm like, is he even going to last until the summer tournament? You'd think he'd want to stick around because it would be amazing to be part of the home games. But there was that whole weird thing with AFCON when he was going to maybe rumoured to be taking over as Ivory Coast manager to finish the tournament. And then since then, he's been linked to the Egypt job and the Algeria job. I'm like, if someone comes in that's big enough... Would he go, Jesse, or do you think he he's keen to see it out and like get that home Paris Games? I feel like if now he'll stay for the Olympics, but I do think yeah, it's I, I feel a bit sorry for France. I, it's not great, is it? Like no. constantly have your manager like batting eyelids at like different um, international teams. But yeah, I feel like France will. F- this is a really strong position for them to go in. You know, they are a team who have compared to the quality that have historically underperformed. At international tournaments, they are a bit like Spain until the until the World Cup summer. In that sense, I think, um, and I think they'll see it as as a really good chance for them um, because I feel like they will, you know, see themselves as as up there. And you know, it's going to be tough because I'm like, this is why I've got to back the Netherlands against Germany because, as I said, I'm going to support the Netherlands if they make it because Escabia. The USA, it's looking kind of bleak out there. Maybe I'll have to, if the, if the Netherlands don't make it, maybe I'll have to go with France. <laughs> I think France would be fun, home team. I think you go back, it'll just be great vibes. It'll be like when they hosted the 2019 World Cup and came so close to beating the US and nearly had like a fairy tale tournament. I think we've got to, we've got to try and recreate some of that magic. Okay, you're so you're saying we should back. Well, I mean, maybe if the if the Netherlands don't get through, I'll I'll reassess who I want to support. I'm going France. Who are you going? I'm going to put all the teams in a hat and I'm going to pick one out. So democratic and boring. (laughs) We'll be reflecting on Nations League final and England's Tuesday night game against Italy on Thursday's show. And also looking ahead to weekend games in the WSL and taking a bit of a sort of reflection on the title race because a lot has gone down in the last couple of weeks. And we haven't necessarily had loads of chance to really get into the nitty gritty to really take time to dedicate to all the different teams while there's been so many kind of twists and turns and bits and pieces of drama. So we're going to do that on Thursday's show. There's a lot of football going on at the moment. Um, But for now, Jilly, as you pick dog hair (laughs) off your coat. It It was actually fluff. Fluff, okay. <laughs> Are you going back to the dogs after this? Um, no, I'm, I've got the after. Well, I'm going home, but okay. I've not got to go back to work. Okay, good. I'm going to go in my shower. <laughs> yeah, you stink of dogs. Uh, Jesse, see you on Thursday. Thank you, listeners. We will see you later in the week.